Amen. Well, I invite you to take your copy of Scripture this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And uh, you'll find the passage, if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you, uh, we'll, you'll find the passage on page 809 and 810. So Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning there, I want to mention that we've been considering the theme of discipleship as we have been studying the Beatitudes. And uh, our series, as you see on the front of your bulletin, is entitled The King, the Kingdom, and the Path. And like the title of our series indicates, there's really three parts to this series. So we began talking about the kingdom. And when we were talking about the kingdom, we spent eight weeks going through each one of the Beatitudes. And then we moved forward into the second part of the series, and we spent two weeks looking at what the Beatitudes teach us about the person of Jesus, about King Jesus. And we saw that Jesus is the new Moses and that Jesus is the blessed man. And now we're moving into the third part of the series. And in the third part of the series, we will spend two Sundays considering the path or the way of the kingdom. And this week, we will look at the path we must take to experience the blessed life of the kingdom. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to read for us, as we've done every week in this series, I'm going to read for us Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, which is the Beatitudes. And then we're going to go to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to read chapter 7, verses 13 to 27. And then we're going to go backwards to Psalm 1 in the Old Testament, and I'll read Psalm 1 in its entirety. If you don't know where Psalm 1 is, it's on page 448 in your Bible, okay, if you're using one of the black Bibles that's provided, so you can put your finger there. So we're going to read a good bit of Scripture up front, but then, Lord willing, this morning I'll be able to show you the connections between these various passages of Scripture. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then if you flip forward to chapter 7, so that's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 7, beginning in verse 13... Jesus begins to conclude the Sermon on the Mount. He says there in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. 
Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Okay, now if you will turn back to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. In Psalm 1 we read these words. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word and for this time that we have together to consider the words of the Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, that by your grace and by the power of your spirit, that the words of Christ and the words of your scriptures would pierce our hearts, that we might know you more fully, that we might love you more deeply that we might treasure Your Word in our hearts, that we might be faithful to You. And it's through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Well, when something captures our mind or our hearts, oftentimes we instinctively have a desire to know something about its origin. So, for example, if you're getting to know someone and you think, you know, this is someone that could possibly be a really good friend in my life. Or even more so, this is someone that could possibly be a spouse for me. Then you will have a natural desire to know something about where they came from. You might want to know where they were born. You might not want to know something about their parents. You might want to know where they grew up. You might want to know the school that they attended. This is true about books and movies as well. Imagine a person who enjoys... Uh, reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it's the first time they read it. The first time they've read any of the books in C.S. Lewis's larger series, The Chronicles of Narnia. Well, if they really enjoyed that book, then they might be inclined to go back and read the previous books in the series to understand the story more fully. Of course, this was the basis for the multiple Star Wars trilogies. In the original, somebody likes Star Wars. (laughs) I'm connecting this morning. That's good. (laughs) In the original series, we were introduced to Luke and Darth Vader, right? And we remember the famous line, Luke, I am your father. But then we wanted to know, well, where did Luke and Darth Vader come from? And how in the world is Darth Vader Luke's father? And so there was a second trilogy that took us back and explained to us the story. 
In our series in the Beatitudes, we have seen again and again that much of Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes and in the larger Sermon on the Mount finds its origin in the Old Testament Scriptures. In fact, as we look at each of the Beatitudes, oftentimes what we find is that Jesus is taking an Old Testament passage of Scripture and He's expounding upon it. He's providing greater insight and application for that passage. Well, this morning, I want us to see another connection between Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes and an Old Testament passage of Scripture. I want us to see a connection between Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount. One New Testament commentator has said, quote, It is not a mere coincidence that Psalm 1 and the Sermon, referring to the Sermon on the Mount, have so much in common. There is a real sense in which the Sermon is a Jesus-given expansion of Psalm 1, end of quote. So this is what I'm going to try to do this morning, is show us this connection between Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount. And as we do so, I want us to see, and this is our main point, our main takeaway this morning, I want us to see that Jesus declares, in concert with Psalm 1, that the man who delights in God's Word will walk in God's way and will experience the blessed life. Let me repeat that. Jesus declares in concert with Psalm 1 that the man who delights in God's Word will walk in God's way and will experience the blessed life. Now as we look at these passages of Scripture this morning, I want us to do so under three headings. First, we'll consider a choice between two paths. Secondly, we will consider God's Word and the blessed life. And then third, we'll consider two outcomes. So a choice between two paths, God's Word and the blessed life, and then two outcomes. First of all, a choice between two paths. So the Sermon on the Mount and Psalm 1 are a reflection of one another, most notably in the introduction and in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. So that's why I began by reading the introduction and conclusion on the Sermon on the Mount, because if you take Psalm 1 and you lay it Beside the introduction and the conclusion on the Sermon on the Mount, you see any number of connections. So let's begin to look at this. You'll notice that in Psalm 1, Psalm 1 begins with a pronouncement of blessing. Blessed is the man. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with nine pronouncements of blessings. We call them the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful, and so forth. We further see similarities between Psalm 1 and the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. So, for example, in Psalm 1, the psalmist clearly presents us with two ways to live. In the first part of Psalm 1, we are told that we can either delight ourselves in the ways of the world, or we can delight ourselves in the Word of God. And then in the second part of Psalm 1, we are told that the wicked will not stand in the judgment, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous. So there's two ways. You can either delight yourself in the way of the world or delight yourself in the Word of God. You will either be wicked and you will not stand in the judgment, or you will know the Lord and be righteous and you will stand on the day of judgment. Two ways in Psalm 1 to live. We see this as well repeated in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. 
So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus presents us with two ways to live. For example, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says we can enter by the narrow gate, which leads to life, or we can enter by the wide gate, which leads to destruction. Then he goes on in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27 to say we can build our house on the rock and our house will stand, or we can build our house on the sand and our house will fall. Two ways, two options, two ways to live. You know, in our modern age, it seems like we have so many options. Have you ever gone to a restaurant where they have a Coke freestyle machine? I didn't know the name of it. I had to look it up. But it's one machine that has, I imagine, every type of Coke product that has ever been produced. And it has a touch screen where you can choose the Coke product that you would like. I think this thing is like one of the seven wonders of the world. It's amazing. So you choose Coke, and then all these different other options come up, right? You can get cherry Coke or lime Coke or orange Coke, types of Coke that I've never even dreamed existed. And do you know that there are 127 options in a Coke freestyle machine? Then there's all the entertainment options we have, right? Traditional TV, which includes hundreds of channels now. There's YouTube and Hulu and Netflix and the traditional movie theater, and the list goes on. And all the educational options were given. You can go to trade school, or you could go to junior college. You could go to community college, or you could do college online. You can go to way to college, or you can study abroad. And then employment options. Right now, we are told that there are more available jobs than there are people to fill them. They may not be the jobs you desire, but there are a lot of jobs. In one sense, it is a blessing to live in a society in which there are so many options. But do you know that the Bible teaches us that spiritually speaking, there are only two options. There are only two ways to live. And the Bible presents these two paths to us over and over and over again. So in Psalm 1, It is either the way of the wicked or the way of the righteous. In the Sermon on the Mount, it is either the narrow gate or the wide gate. It is either to build your house on the rock or build your house on the sand. And then the rest of Scripture bears testimony to this truth. So that we are told that we are either a citizen of the kingdom of darkness or we are a citizen of the kingdom of light. We are either a rebel or we are a son. We are either an orphan, or we are an adopted child. We are either a goat, or we're a sheep. We're either a child of wrath, or we're a child of God. We're either dead in our sin, or we're alive in Christ. We're either far off, or we've been brought near. We're either lost, or we're found. We're either a wheat, or a tare. We either possess a heart of stone, or a heart of flesh. We're either a slave to sin or free in Christ. We either know Him or we don't. We are either destined to judgment or we're destined to eternal life. The Bible presents to us over and over and over again two ways, two paths, only two options in terms of how we choose to live. 
You know, some people think that the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, is kind of a drag. Maybe in Jesus Himself is. And some might say, well, if I listen to the words of the Bible, or if I listen to the words of Jesus, then my life will be miserable. Then it will be the end of all enjoyment. But notice that both in Psalm 1 and in the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible and the Lord Jesus are inviting us, they are appealing to us to know and to experience blessing. To know and experience the blessed life. To know and experience the favor of God. A life full of vitality. A life full of fruitfulness. A life that will endure and can stand when we face the difficulties of this life. And so my friends, I wonder which path are you on? Which way have you chosen? There are only two options. There are only two ways. Which have you chosen? This leads us to our second point. The path or the way that leads to the blessed life. And our second point is this. God's Word and the blessed life. God's Word and the blessed life. So, First of all, we see that in the Psalm 1, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's these two ways, these two paths that are presented to us. And so we want to ask the question, well, in Psalm 1, who is it that experiences the blessed life? And in Psalm 1, verse 2, we read, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. Now, this is all the more significant when we consider that Psalm 1 is not just the first book or I'm sorry, the first psalm in the book of Psalms. It's not just the first psalm in the book of Psalms. But Psalm 1 actually functions as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. So Psalm 1 is an invitation to immerse ourselves in the rest of the Psalms. In other words, Psalm 1 declares, if you want to live the blessed life, then give yourself to God's Word, and in particular, give yourself to these 150 psalms. It's inviting us to delight in the Word of God. And in the Sermon on the Mount, who does Jesus say experiences the blessed life? Well, we see a parallel theme. It is the man who builds his house on the rock. And what is the rock? In chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The person who experiences the blessed life is the one who establishes their life in God's Word. So we see both in Psalm 1 and in the Sermon on the Mount that to delight ourselves in God's Word, to ground our lives in God's Word, is the way, the path, to experiencing the blessed life. But both passages also describe what it's like to not delight yourself in God's Word and not ground yourself in God's Word. So Psalm 1 1 warns us to not, if we do not delight ourselves in God's Word, it involves a dangerous progression. To not delight ourselves in God's Word involves a dangerous progression. Look there in verse 1 of Psalm 1. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
Do you see the dangerous progression here? Notice the verbs. The blessed, the blessed man walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You see the verbs there. Walk, stand, sit. So the one who does not delight themselves in God's Word, they will begin by walking in the counsel of the wicked. And after a while, they become a little bit more comfortable. And so they stop and they stand in the way of sinners. And they begin to feel a little bit more at home, and so they sit in the seat of scoffers. In other words, they settle down and they stay a while. And the psalmist is indicating here that when we think about the wicked, it's not necessarily those who you know, commit the big sins, the murderers and maybe adulterers and so forth. The wicked are those who simply are not intimately connected to God and His people through God's Word. And as a, res- as a result of constant exposure to the world... They feel at home in the world. They think like the world. They live like the world. And so instead of being in the world and not of it, they are in the world and at ease with it. Now what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount about the one who does not delight themselves in God's Word? What is the result? Jesus says that the result of one who does not delight themselves in God's Word is a subtle destruction So in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, Jesus says, The gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Have you ever been to a busy amusement park? Usually there's a main walkway that people are walking on, and it's full of people. And then there's various rides and attractions along the way. And if you're going to get to your ride or your attraction and you're in that crowd, in that main walkway, you're going to have to cut across the crowd, right, to enter into that more narrow entrance to get to your ride. If you don't, you'll just keep going along. The same is true at a ball game. If you've ever been to a big football stadium, right before a game, usually there's the main thoroughfare and it's packed with people. And then there's entryways into the stadium where you can enter in and get to your seat. But in order to get to your seat, you're going to have to cross that crowd and you might bump into people, you might cut in front of someone, you might get a dirty look, but you've got to go across that crowd to get into the entryway. And so the main walkway in amusement park or the main thoroughfare in a, st- in a stadium, that represents the wide way. And many are traveling along the wide way. And it's easy. On the wide way, the word is, you do you. Everything is relative. There's no such thing as truth. Whatever pleases you is fine. And so you really don't have to do anything to travel the broad way. You just go with the flow. But Jesus warns us that that way leads to destruction. That it requires intentionality to travel the narrow way. So notice what both Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount have taught us at this point. Both Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount teach us that the one who experiences the blessed life is the one who delights in God's Word and builds their life on God's Word. 
And both Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount warn us of the dangers of not delighting in God's Word. Psalm 1 says it involves a dangerous progression. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount it will lead to a subtle destruction. But it's also noteworthy as we're still considering this idea of God's Word and the blessed life. It's also noteworthy that both Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount use a tree to illustrate the person who delights in God's Word and the person who does not delight in God's Word. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. And what does Jesus say about a true prophet? A true prophet is like a healthy tree that bears good fruit. And a false prophet is like a diseased tree that bears bad fruit. In other words, the false prophet's life betrays his ministry. His life is not consistent with God's Word. It does not bear fruit consistent with God's Word. And then we go to Psalm 1 and we say, well, what does the psalmist teach us about the man who delights in God's Word? And at the very heart of Psalm 1 is a tree. The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Both the psalmist and the Lord Jesus use this same image of the tree to describe what it means to delight in the Word of God and to experience the life of blessing and prosperity. Charles Spurgeon says this, quote, His delight is in the law of the Lord. He delights to meditate in it, to read it by day and think upon it by night. He takes a text and carries it with him all day long. And in the night watches, when sleep forsakes his eyelids, he muses upon the Word of God. In the day of his prosperity, he sings psalms out of the Word of God. And in the night of his affliction, he comforts himself with the promises out of the same book. End of quote. And so as we think about the man or the woman who delights themselves in the Word of God, I think it's fair to say that surely this is a person who sets aside time each day to read God's Word. I would encourage you strongly to do that. Whether it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, to set aside time each day to read God's Word and to pray and speak to the Lord in light of what you've read. But of course what we see here in terms of the description of the one who delights in God's Word goes beyond that. So that this person not only has a set time that they read God's Word each day, but throughout the day and even in the night hours when they awake from their sleep, they are mulling over a verse memorized or read. They're reminding themselves of a promise. Or they're rebuking the ungodliness of their heart with a divine command. Do you see that the psalmist and the Lord Jesus are both teaching us that the key to bearing fruit in the Christian life, whether we are experiencing a season of joy or we are experiencing a season of pain, the key is to be consistently rooted in the life-giving, vibrant, pure river of the Word of God. I wonder, my friends, in which river is your life planted? Are you delighting in the counsel and the ways of this world? It's not hard to do. In fact, it takes no intentionality. If you say, well, 
I don't know which path I'm on. I don't know which way I'm on. This is where you are. Are you delighting yourself in the Word of God? Is the Word of God your sustenance, your life, your joy, your delight? It takes intentionality. But Jesus and the psalmist promised this is the way to blessing. This is the way to life. Delighting ourselves in God's Word is essential to experiencing the blessed life. It is, in fact, the path or the way to experiencing the blessed life. So we've considered there are two paths. We've considered the Word of God and the blessed life. And then third and finally, let us consider two outcomes. So according to Psalm 1, what is the outcome for the one who delights in God's Word? When Psalm 1 verse 3 we read, He yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. In other words, He knows and He experiences the blessed life. He knows and experiences prosperity before the Lord. And according to the Sermon on the Mount, what is the outcome of the one who establishes their life in the Word of God? Well, like Psalm 1, they will prosper. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, that if you enter the narrow gate, it leads to life. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20, he says that a healthy tree bears good fruit. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, he says, when the rain and the floods come and the wind comes, the one who builds their lives on the rock will stand and endure the storm. So the outcome of one's life who delights in God's Word is blessing. They will experience the knowledge of the blessed life. Now, according to Psalm 1, what is the outcome for the one who does not delight in God's Word? Well, we read in Psalm 1, verses 4 and 5, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. They will not stand in the judgment nor in the congregation of the righteous. In other words, they will be blown away because their life lacks rootedness and vitality and stability. They will not be able to stand, the psalmist tells us, in the day of judgment. And according to the Sermon on the Mount, what is the outcome for the one who does not establish their life in the Word of God? Well, Jesus tells us in chapter 7, verse 13, that the wide gate leads to destruction. In other words, we can say in the words of Psalm 1, they will not stand in the day of judgment. They will not be saved, but they will be destroyed. In addition, Jesus tells us that they are like the man who builds their house on the sand. And listen to how Jesus speaks of the man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. It sounds a lot like Psalm 1 when the wind drives the chaff away. And then tracing this theme further, we see another connection. Both Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount begin with blessing, but they end with a warning, a warning of judgment. Both begin by declaring, blessed are, and then both end with a warning of judgment. Psalm 1.5 says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And Jesus declares in Matthew 1 verse 27 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that the one who builds his house on the sand will not stand, but will fall before the storms and the trials of this life. Earlier, 
We said that spiritually speaking, there are only two paths. There are only two ways to live. And we considered, what path are we on? Well, listen, my friends, whichever path you're on, you do not have to guess what the outcome is. The psalmist and the Lord Jesus Himself have declared clearly where we are headed. One path leads to life and blessing. The other very clearly leads to destruction. Now, you might be wondering at this point, well, how can I get on the path that leads to life and blessing? You know, that is the intent of Psalm 1. It's the intent of the Sermon on the Mount to awaken that desire within your heart. You might be saying to yourself, I don't want to be a slave to the world. I want to delight in God's Word. I don't want to go down the wide path. I want to choose the narrow path that leads to life. I don't want my life to be characterized as a diseased tree that bears no fruit. I want my life to be a healthy tree that bears fruit in season and out of season. I don't want to be blown away when the trials and difficulties of this life come. I want to stand on God's Word and persevere and endure in faithfulness. How can I get on the path that leads to life and blessing? And the answer, my friends is you must know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You must know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me show you one more connection between Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount. In Psalm 1, verse 6, we read, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declares in chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Now, of course, there's a parallel here, right? Lord knows the way of the righteous. I never knew you. There's a parallel between Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount, but there's also an important distinction. In Psalm 1, verse 6, we read, For the Lord, and if you're looking at Psalm 1 right now in your Bible, you'll see that that's in all caps. That's actually the name Yahweh, the covenant name of God. For the Lord, Yahweh, knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And we read that and we might say, okay, that makes sense. If we're going to know life, if we're going to know blessing, if we're going to know eternal life, we must know God. That's what the psalmist is saying. That makes sense. But notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. Jesus says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of iniquity. Now, if we're reading that thoughtfully, we should pause for a moment and ask ourselves, who talks like that?
What person says, if you want life, if you want blessing, if you want eternal life, you must know me. And right here we witness the divine self-consciousness of the Lord Jesus. Jesus was profoundly aware and confident that He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was the Savior of the world. Thomas Jefferson, the great American father and third president of the United States, was not a Christian. He was a deist. Deists believe that there is a God, but he's distant and removed. He's remote. Deists also believe that reason is the key to human knowledge. And so they deny the supernatural. And so Jefferson attempted to make his own version of the New Testament. And in his version of the New Testament, he attempted to edit out all the supernatural occurrences. So when it came to the Sermon on the Mount, Jefferson thought highly of the Sermon on the Mount. He deeply appreciated the ethical teachings of Jesus. But one verse that he removed from the Sermon on the Mount was Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And why did Jefferson remove that verse? Because it so clearly declares Jesus' divine self-consciousness. You see, Jesus would completely agree with the psalmist that to know God, to know Yahweh, is to know life and to know blessing. And Jesus also believed that to know Him was to know life and to know blessing because for Jesus, they were one and the same. He is God. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And you can't escape this in the New Testament. It's not just in Matthew, and it's not just here in Matthew. It's all through Matthew, and it's in Mark, and it's in Luke, and it's in John. And all the apostles bear witness to it throughout the New Testament. To know Him is to enter the narrow way. To know Him is to find yourself on the path of life. To know Him is to experience the blessed life. To know Him is to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Do you know Him? Do you believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world? Have you believed that He died on the cross for your sin and that He was raised from the dead? If not, my friends, let me encourage you this morning to confess your sins to Him, to trust in Him as Savior. He will set you on the path of the kingdom. And as you walk that path, delight yourself in the Word of God. Build your life on His Word, and you will be truly blessed. You will know and experience the blessed life. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for how Your Word gives us life We're so thankful for the Lord Jesus, and we're so thankful that by His death and resurrection, 
we can experience that life and we can know you. Lord, we pray that you would take your word now and apply it to each of our hearts. I pray, Father, that even in these moments, there would be those who would trust in the Lord Jesus for the first time and would know him. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have chosen the path of the kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would truly delight ourselves in your word day and night. And Lord, may we know true life, true blessing, true prosperity as we delight in your word. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate baptism this morning. And uh, we pray that you would continue to be with us as we rejoice in your grace and salvation. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.